Welcome back, beautiful souls, to our 33rd episode of Spirituality with Kayun. Speaking of oneness in the previous episode, it actually brought me back to India, a place that always feels like home. Whenever I visit, I not only feel a sense of returning home, but also experience this beautiful feeling of spiritual oneness, wholeness, and completeness. I know that many people, especially those from big cosmopolitan cities, like my friends from New York or Hong Kong, often question, why India? Sometimes I even hear responses like, oh, that's the last place on my list. Surprisingly, I've heard this from full-blown yogis and hardcore meditators as well. In case you're not familiar, the origin of yoga is in the Himalayas, India. Buddha attained enlightenment while meditating under a Bodhi tree in a place called Bodh Gaya in India as well. Yeah, I know these days it almost feels like yoga is a Western thing. And in many ways, modern yoga is. There's actually an interesting book I once read called American Yoga, which tells the story of the history of modern yoga. I believe that if yoga hadn't made its way to the West, it probably wouldn't be the billion-dollar industry it is today. It's one of the fastest-growing industries in the world, encompassing everything from yoga clothes to mats to jewelries and props, not to mention the countless classes, workshops, trainings, and retreats. Honestly, I probably wouldn't even have stumbled upon yoga if it weren't for the pioneers of Western yoga like BKS Iyengar, Pratabi Joyce, Bikram Chowdhury, Swami Vishnevananda, or Parahamsa Yogananda. When it comes to traveling to India, I noticed that some of the more conservative people, like my parents and many of my elders, tend to voice their concerns. They would start ranting about the perceived danger and the unfortunate increase in rape cases. Basically, they'll say, don't go. I mean, these things happen not just in India, but all over the world. Of course, you know, we should be alert and aware. But if we never take a little risk, how would we ever discover all the magical places in the world or live the life we love? Growing up rebellious in nature, their concerns never really stopped me. I guess I'm also the type of person who's determined to make things happen when I have a strong passion for something. I'd rather go for it and fail than spend my life regretting not going for it when I no longer have the energy to. I learned this valuable lesson from an inspiring book called Tuesday with Maury. It tells the story of Maury, a wise college professor who was nearing the end of his life. He shared his wisdom with his favorite student, Mitch teaching him about living a meaningful and fulfilling life, one that embraces love and compassion. It may sound a bit scary, but looking at life from the perspective of a deathbed can be one of the most eye-opening exercises. I constantly remind myself that no one can take better care of my dreams than I can. 
With this in mind, I gather the courage to chase after what my heart desires, knowing that even if there are challenges along the way, the journey itself is worth it. After all, we only live once, right? I used to playfully use the phrase YOLO all the time to peer pressure my friends to join me for a spontaneous Monday night drink or an impromptu weekend getaway. It was all about embracing the moments and living life to the fullest. Back when I was younger, I had a fearless spirit and nothing could hold me back from creating incredible memories or embarking new adventures. Before the era of COVID, I had the joy of visiting India at least once or twice a year. Sometimes I would stay for weeks and there was even a time when I extended my stay for a few months. As an Asian American girl growing up amidst the bustling streets of New York City, I found myself yearning for something beyond the concrete jungle. I longed to embark on a journey that would connect me to my roots and help me gain a deeper understanding of myself, who I truly was, the meaning of life, and what my purpose in this world might be. Ever since I delved into spirituality, I've come to believe that every individual possesses inherent talents that are meant not only to fulfill their own desires, but also to be shared with the world. In those days when I was still a part of the corporate world, I realized that I couldn't be trapped in a 9-to-5 routine, crunching numbers as an accountant, confined to a cubicle until the day I retired. I needed something more. I needed to embark on a soul-searching journey. My soul yearned for freedom and a deeper sense of purpose. After immersing myself in countless spiritual books that taught me the teachings of yoga, listening to captivating journeys of fellow yogis, and even exploring yoga ashrams in the Western world, I felt an irresistible pull to take a leap of faith and embark on a journey to India. It was an action that forever changed my life, and looking back, leaving my desk job was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Deep down, I just knew that India was the first place I had to visit after being free from my work. My intuition whispered that I would fall in love with this country. In the secret corners of my mind, I already had a hunch that I would return again and again. Although, of course, I never dared to share this with my concerned mother, who begs me not to make the very first trip. With eager anticipation in my heart, I took a bold step even before setting foot in India. Instead of opting for a one-year or five-year visa, I went all out and applied for the 10-year visa. Well, it was also a better deal. I was determined to make the most out of this incredible opportunity. And let me tell you, I definitely got my money's worth and then some. The experience I had, the memories I made, the deep connections I forged were truly priceless. India enveloped me in its magic and I couldn't have asked for a more spiritually enchanting adventure. The moment I arrived in Mother India, I was embraced by a warm wave of heat and a symphony of vibrant and unfamiliar sounds. 
The air was thick with spices and the aroma of delectable street food. It was a sensory overload in the most delightful way. The chaotic streets were filled with rickshaws zipping by, the honking of cars, and the lively energy of people going about their daily lives. It was a stark contrast to the organized chaos of the Big Apple that I was accustomed to. But amidst it all, I felt an inexplicable connection, as if I've been there before, though it was undeniably my very first time. Well, at least in this lifetime. But there was a sense of familiarity that embraced me. You know that feeling of deja vu or that comforting sensation of coming back home? That was exactly what I experienced. It's no wonder they call it Mother India. The term mother evokes feelings of nurturing, protection, and selflessness, which perfectly captures the deep cultural, emotional, and spiritual significance that it holds for its people and even for visitors like myself. My first trip to India was undoubtedly the most touristy adventure of all my visits to this beautiful and sacred country. Touristy because I explored many famous sites, taking in the rich tapestry of spiritual heritage all at once. During my subsequent trips, I discovered the joy of immersing myself in the serenity of ashrams, monasteries, and meditation institutions like the Vipassana Center in the outskirts of Mumbai. By the way, if you're into that sort of thing, it's one of the best places to experience a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. This is actually the global Vipassana Center, and they have this breathtaking pagoda there. A pagoda is a magnificent, hollow, dome-like structure where people engage in spiritual practices. And this particular pagoda is awe-inspiring. It can accommodate up to 8,000 meditators. And that's not all. There are around 400 individual meditation cells within it. The moment I stepped inside, a powerful surge of energy washed over me, leaving me rooted in stillness. The vibrations within were indescribably profound. Aside from my spiritual explorations and visits to sacred places, I must confess that I haven't done much traditional sightseeing. Believe it or not, I haven't even been to the Taj Mahal yet. Although I do hope to visit one day and strike a yoga pose for a photo because it seems like a very Instagrammable spot. A must-do for modern yogis, you know? I always imagine myself posing gracefully in Natarajasana, or dancer's pose, in front of that majestic palace. Just like how yogis capture their serene moments of meditation at Angkor Wat in Cambodia, one of the most iconic temples, or find themselves in deep contemplation in front of a bungalow perched above the crystal clear waters of the Maldives or even balancing effortlessly in a headstand on the edge of an infinity pool on a tropical island, 
gazing out into the vast expanse of the ocean. Oh, and let's not forget about the yogi standing tall in a one-leg tree pose between the gates of heaven in Bali. You get my point. My first journey was more of a sacred pilgrimage as I visited various holy sites. I had the privilege of visiting the Golden Temple in Amritsar and immersing myself in the serene ambience of numerous Tibetan Buddhist temples in Dharmasala, where the 14th Dalai Lama resides. It was an absolute honor to spend a few days studying under his guidance, though it was really more about just basking in his presence. The lectures were quite early, and I remember being sleepy in class. I wasn't yet a morning person, nor was I able to sit comfortably for long hours at that time. Additionally, I had the opportunity to visit the Tibetan Children's Village, a remarkable organization proposed by His Holiness, which provides a nurturing community for children who have been orphaned or separated from their families. Teaching yoga and meditation to those children was an incredibly heartwarming experience, and witnessing their radiant smiles touched my soul deeply. Between studying, engaging in karma yoga work by humbly cleaning toilets at the monastery, and serving others, I managed to find moments of indulgence in what brings me uh, material joy. As a shopaholic and a foodie, I eagerly explored vibrant shops and savored mouth-watering dishes during my breaks. Instead of the usual boutique hopping in New York City, I found myself doing the same, hopping from one colorful shop to another, discovering treasures that delighted my senses. Back in the States, when I practiced yoga, I always admired the teachers adorned in beautiful om shawls, accessories with a lotus, third eye, prayer hands, or other yoga symbols, and printed tops with Ganesha, the elephant that removes our obstacles, or Shiva, the one who destroys all our impurities. Finding all these items felt like stepping into a shopper's paradise. Not only were there a multitude of colors and styles, but the prices were a fraction of what I would find in the West. I couldn't resist collecting shawls in every hue. I also brought back as many singing bowls and other musical instruments as I could, even though they were very heavy to carry. But their soulful melodies spoke to my heart. And then there were the incense, a aromatic symphony of various woods and flowers. My favorites included sandalwood, jasmine, lavender, frankincense, and surprisingly, cow dung, another name for the sacred cow poop. I was told that it holds purifying properties to clear our homes, our spaces, and our minds. Now let's not forget about the yoga mala beads, you know, those prayer beads that was traditionally used for counting while reciting a mantra or other sacred sounds. The mala string has 108 beads, which is a very auspicious and sacred number in yogic and Buddhist traditions. It represents wholeness and completeness. I visited some temples with 108 steps leading up to the main entrance. 
every year I hold a New Year 108 Sun Salutation Workshop as a way to set our intention and start off the new year in an auspicious way. These days, modern yogis also use these beads for fashion, a way to accessorize themselves. Some spiritual practitioners like to wear them for healing effects. I saw lightweight and airy beads made from wood like Reduksha, Tulasi, or Sandalwood to beads that felt more solid, made from gemstones and crystals. There were all kinds, jade, turquoise, tiger eye, rose quartz, and more. As I indulged in my shopping spree, my body gradually became a colorful masterpiece. By the end of my trip, adorned with one too many sacred beads around my neck and my forearms. At one point, I felt as if I was almost enlightened. Oh, and the Indian cuisines. As I mentioned in the previous episode, my love for Indian food blossomed from the very first taste. In the northern regions of India, where the weather is cooler, the cuisine tends to be a bit heartier. I love the delicious basmati rice, garlic or cilantro naan bread, and a splendid selection of curries from the flavorful masala to the creamy korma and the tantalizing balti. The dishes range from mild to very spicy, and I enjoy each and every single one of them. Mornings were greeted with warmth of freshly made aloo chapati, which is a flatbread filled with savory potatoes. Throughout the day, I couldn't resist sipping cup after cup of chai. Indians have a fondness for their tea. And due to the vibrant Tibetan community where I studied at, I had the pleasure of indulging in momos, those tasty Indian dumplings. With each meal, I found myself embracing the abundance of flavors, probably indulging a lot more than necessary. I must admit, after each visit to India, I would notice a certain plumpness to my appearance, almost like a ball. You know what, though? The Indians actually love the extra weight. But I think the most memorable experience during the first trip to India was hiking in the Himalayas. I didn't know what it would be like. The closest experience I had was probably in Disney World while riding the Everest Expedition roller coaster. During the thrilling ride to the top of the mountain, I remember seeing shadows of snow monsters living in caves, and that was kind of how I imagined the Himalayas to be. Cold, snowy, and a bit dangerous as you never know what kind of surprise you may encounter. But it was nothing like that. Nor did I see any scary beasts or monsters. As a matter of fact, it turned out to be the complete opposite. It was the most incredibly peaceful experience I had. It's no wonder the majestic Himalayan mountain range with its breathtaking peaks, deep valleys, and pristine natural beauty has been a sacred site for spiritual seekers for centuries. When I reached a temple at the top above the clouds, I felt a connection I had never felt before. I sat down, cross-legged, 
and absorbed the serene environment. The air was crisp, fresh, and pure, and the silence was profound, broken only by the occasional sound of nature. Leaving behind the stress and distractions of everyday life, I delved deeper into my inner world and explored my consciousness. Literally floating amidst the clouds in meditation, I felt a union with not just my inner self, but with something beyond the self. I felt a deep sense of spiritual connection and oneness. It's hard to put into words the blissful and spiritually uplifting feeling I had. However, in that moment, I knew I wanted to experience more. I knew I would return for more. It's ironic that we're taught to let go of our attachments, but this spiritual high became my new addiction. Thank you for listening to Spirituality with Kayun. I hope this episode on my journey to India has inspired your curiosity to explore. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at kyun underscore with your feedback, comments, questions, or suggestions. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. The lights within me bow so the divine lights within you. Wishing you a beautiful day or evening wherever you are. Namaste, everyone.